Please open your Bibles with me as I read this morning's text found in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, withstood them, seeking to turn away the proconsul from the faith. But Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, The hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. We call this season Advent. The word Advent means coming. The idea is that we're thinking about the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Son of God into history, baby, growing up, dying, rising, reigning, coming again. And if we're going to focus on the coming of the Lord during this season, we ought to have the spirit of the coming. What what sentence, I wonder, would you use from the Bible to capture the spirit of the coming of the Lord? There's not just one, but here's one from Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He's on a search and save mission, not a search and destroy mission. In fact, that little combination is explicitly denied in John 3.17. He did not come that the world might be condemned but that the world through him might be saved. He is not on a search and destroy mission. He's on a search and save mission. The meaning, the spirit of Advent that we are now in the middle of is a spirit of moving toward lost people who need to be found and saved. And so what we are doing is thinking about the mission of God. God is on a mission. And we're not just thinking. 
even when I say, you know, the purpose of a sermon is to help people think, I say, yes, but we are cherishing, we are celebrating, we are embracing this characteristic of God, that God is not a passive God. God is not aloof. God is not on a maintenance mode ever. God is energetic. God is moving. God is leaving and going to. He is searching. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And the book of Acts is a celebration of the advent heart and mind of God. The book of Acts is a celebration of the advent heart of God. Or another way to put it would be the book of Acts is a narrative of how the early church understood the words, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Well, let me put it graphically for you. The book of Acts is a narrative or a description of how the vertical advent from God to Christ into the world is bent out into a horizontal advent of Christ through the church coming into more and more of the peoples of the world. The advent heart of God expresses itself vertically in Christmas and then expresses itself horizontally in the book of Acts. And so Acts is a celebration of the advent heart of God. It's a, a narrative of the bending of advent out into history. Got all the way to Minneapolis, the advent of Jesus did. And it's meant to get all the way to all the people's of the world. The book of Acts, I believe, the more I study it, the more I preach on it, is written to keep churches from falling into a maintenance mode. That's why it's in the Bible, I think. God is never that way. God is never on maintenance mode. He's never on hold. He's never coasting. He's never aloof. He's never passive. He's never indecisive. And he doesn't want his people to be that way either. And so he inspired Luke to write the book of Acts to show how his energetic invasion of history bends horizontally out into the world and keeps on adventing out there wherever he isn't yet in people's lives and in people groups around the world. The book of Acts is a goad. It's a constant stimulation and motivation and goad to Bethlehem Baptist Church and to me and you to say no maintenance mentality. Mission, not maintenance, is the spirit of Advent. Now, we've been seeing this. Let me put today's text in the context of the last three weeks. We saw the Advent arm of God extended through a persecution. Evidently, it took a persecution. So there's a persecution in Jerusalem over Stephen. And what it does is propel the saints all the way up to Antioch. And so the, the Advent arm of God is bent out and extends itself mightily through his people up to Antioch. In chapter 12, we saw a brief vignette of how secular rulers can get in the way. And the point was, Herod is an anti-Advent force in the world. And when God finds these anti-Advent forces trying to, first he kills James, then he arrests Peter, and God cuts him down. He's eaten by worms. He's moved out of the way. And the next verse says, and the word of God grew and multiplied. So you had that anti-Advent force moved out of the way because God's Advent arm is not done. 
It was extended downward in the incarnation, and now it's extended outward in the book of Acts, right on through history, right on the Minneapolis, right on to the Guinea people, and wherever else it has not yet arrived, it will be extended. Now, today's chapter 13 is another great story. And it's, it's got some new twists to it, some new language and words that made this Advent arm and power of God very fresh and living for me as I meditated on it this week. In chapter 13, what we see is that the arm now flexes from Antioch to Cyprus. It's about 50 miles across the Mediterranean Sea to the island of Cyprus. That's God's next strategy. Out from Antioch to Cyprus. And we must realize this is God's work. It was God that got the saints from Jerusalem up to Antioch through persecution. Man didn't decide to do that. It was God that got Herod out of the way. Man didn't eat him with worms. The angel of the Lord did. And now it's going to be God that gets the worshiping, fasting prophets and teachers of Antioch over to Cyprus and beyond. Look at verse 2. Let's see the work of God here moving in Advent horizontal power from Antioch to Cyprus. Verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, not a man, the Holy Spirit's got an idea here how to do it. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So God took the initiative. I sense that what we're supposed to do here at Bethlehem with regard to unreached peoples is to pray the Lord of the harvest, that he would propel them. The word in Greek is ekbalo, throw out. That we throw people out of this church to the unreached peoples of the world, to the unreached neighborhoods and pockets around this city. And our job is, as soon as we see them flying, to get our hands on them and pray blessing. That's what they did here. They got their hands on them. But it was God who called them, it says in verse 2, and it was God who said, send them. They're on their way by God's call and God's power. Look at verse 4 to see this reaffirmed, this God-centered sending. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. It's not just the church. Sure, the Holy Spirit laid hands on them and prayed for them and fasted. But it was the Spirit of God at work getting from Antioch to Cyprus in his advent way. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So God is at work here. The book of Acts is a narrative of the advent heart of God, having bent out horizontally from the incarnation and extending to all the unreached peoples of the world. And he isn't done yet. And therefore, this text and this modus operandi in the book of Acts is very, very relevant to our job as a church and why we exist. Now, they come to Paphos. That's on the other side. That's on the western side of uh, Cyprus. They come to Paphos and something amazing happens. Another forceful demonstration that God's advent heart will not be frustrated. He will, he will not be denied the fulfillment of his Advent purposes in reaching the world. But Paul uses some new language here that got me real excited, and I want to try to unfold it for you. Sergius Paulus is the governor of, of Cyprus, the governor of the whole island, mind you. 
He's the proconsul. He's appointed by the Caesar in Rome to rule this island. Verse 7 says he was a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Now, that's incredible. That's amazing. I mean, picture this. Barnabas and Saul and John are nobodies in the Roman world. Zero. They don't count. They are nobodies. They don't have any World Council of Churches or BGC mission agency. Probably they don't have a big Bethlehem, a little band of believers perhaps in Antioch, but nobody's ever heard of them. They have no political clout whatsoever. Nobody in Paphos has ever heard of them when they got there. They have no papers, no visas. They are zero, nobody, and the ruler of the whole island invites them to come preach to him. Now, how do you suppose that happened? Well, my effort in the poem was to guess that they got down on their knees outside Paphos and Paul said, give us the governor. I think that's the way it happened. It's just incredible the way God moves in his obedient people's lives. God has a purpose here. Do, do you, those of you who were here a few weeks ago, this is another Cornelius Peter event, isn't it? Here's a man who desires to hear the word of God in Paphos, 275 miles from Antioch. Here is a group of prophets and teachers bowed in prayer, worshiping and fasting, probably saying, where now? Who's ready? And God looks down and says, there's my chosen one, Sergius Paulus. And there are my chosen ones. Barnabas and Saul and Nicanor and, and the others. I think I know what to do about this. And he calls and he creates a mission. He creates a straight path. And he puts them together and he saves Sergius Paulus. Now, the Advent arm of God is reaching from Antioch to Paphos to grasp for salvation Sergius Paulus, the governor of the island. And there's this little rascal, Elimus, who thinks he's going to get in the way. And he, he does get in the way. Verse 8. Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, withstood them, seeking to turn away the proconsul from the faith. So here we have another anti-Advent force like Herod. He's an anti-Advent force. The Advent arm of God is reaching for Sergius Paulus. And Elimus stands in the way. He says, no, you can't have it. He resists the Advent arm of God. He's not smart. It's very stupid. Verse 10 makes it even clearer what's up here and what are the powers behind it. Verse 10 Paul says to him, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Now, hear the new terminology that, that got a hold of me. Making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. What are the straight paths of the Lord and how do you make them crooked? 
Verse 8 is the explanation of verse 10, I believe. The clue for me in that was because the same Greek word is used for the term turn away in verse 8. He tried to turn him away from the faith. And the term make crooked in verse 10. It's the same Greek word. So I assume that the turning away from the faith is the making crooked of the straight paths of God. And now I know what the straight path is. The straight path of God is the will of God to move from Antioch to Paphos to Sergius Paulus to make him believe. It's faith. And the making crooked of the straight paths of God is the trying to divert that path off into the Mediterranean Sea so it dead ends and produces no faith. If he could do that, he would have made crooked the straight paths of God. If you can hinder somebody from believing, then you can make the straight path of God crooked. Now, there are two wonderful things in this text. The first is that God has straight paths. God has some straight paths. He stands back and he looks at the world and he thinks of his almighty purposes to bring the nations to himself and proclaim the gospel among all the unreached peoples. And he sees a worshiping, fasting band of people here. He, he sees a Sergius Paulus Cornelius type here. And he says, I know how to make a straight path. And he calls a missionary band and he shows them the path to Seleucia and to Salamis and to Paphos, and right into the courtroom of the ruler of the island, and he believes God has straight paths in the world today. He's got paths for you to walk on. He's got paths for this church, and they move from prayer and fasting to salvation and faith. That's the way the paths move. We pray, we fast, we seek the Holy Spirit, and when we do that, He shows us the path that leads to glory and somebody's salvation whom we never would have expected. Well, I'll tell you, I want to be a church like that so bad. I do not want to be a program church. I want to be a praying, fasting, Holy Spirit-seeking church that listens to the Word of God and the mind of God and maybe makes some really weird moves. I wonder how many people in the church at Antioch said, oh, no, don't go to Cyprus. There's just a bunch of jerks over there. Go up here into Asia Minor and cut over to Ephesus. That's the way to go. And the Holy Spirit said, go to Cyprus. And they went to Cyprus. And how do you know where to go next as a church? How do we know what ministries to do next? How do we know where to send missionaries? Do you know? I don't know. God knows. God knows where the Sergius Pauluses and Corneliuses are. All over the world. How are you going to find out? Strategize with study? Sure, that, that's part of it. But would study have told them there's a man named Sergius Paulus in Paphos ready to invite you into his palace so that he could be saved in spite of everything? No. God does that. And only God. And our job and Prayer week is just around the corner, and I hope you will put it on your agenda. Our job is to be on our faces as a church saying, Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Tell us where to go. Tell us what to do. We just want to be a spirit-driven, guided, carried, led, filled church. That's the first wonderful thing in this text. God has straight paths. If you stay on those paths, he will move people out of the way. And that's the second thing now.
The second amazing thing here is that Elimus, by Jesus, does not succeed. He doesn't succeed. He would like very much, as he stands up to give his word of opposition, for the path of the Lord to go right out the back door of the palace into the Mediterranean Sea and accomplish nothing. That's what Elimus would like. And here's what happened. Verse 11. And now, behold, Paul says to him, the hand of the Lord. Notice whose hand. The hand of the Lord, just like the angel of the Lord with Herod. The hand of the Lord is upon you. And you shall be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Verse 12, here's the result. The proconsul believed. There's the end of the straight path of the Lord. The proconsul believed. When he saw what had occurred. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now this is amazing. Don't miss this. Here's the straight path of God. Here is Elimus standing in the path. God does not say, uh, excuse me, Elimus, I have some work to do and go around and save Sergius Paulus. You know what he does? He knocks him down and stands on him and says, Sergius Paulus, you see that? Believe. That's my power. Now, this is amazing. Don't miss this. God takes the Elimuses of our lives. The bar Jesus is in and around the church and he defeats them. He stands on them. He uses them to get where he's going. If you want to be used of God wrongly, resist God and he'll use you. Just like Judas. C.S. Lewis said one time, we all will glorify God, but it makes a difference whether you glorify God like Judas or like John. Don't be used of God as a stepping stone under his feet to evidence his sovereign power over his enemies. Be used of God like Barnabas and Paul and John. Tom prayed for uh, Bert Copendrayer. When I heard this morning that Bert Copendrayer is in the hospital with a kidney stone and that one of his kids probably has uh, chicken pox or whatever it is, I said, no, Elimus, he's on his way to Guinea. He's on a straight path. What are you doing? Get out of the way. And I'm going to go down to that hospital this afternoon. I'm going to stand over Bert Copendray. I'm going to rebuke that thing. I am so mad at this kidney stone, this Elimus. But but here's here's what I'm going to tell him I think God's doing. I think God is going to take that kidney stone and stand on it and get the other 10% of Bert's uh, funds that he needs because of it, somehow. Just because this text is that way and God is that way. So you pray this afternoon that Bert will be healed from his kidney stone. I mean, he's trying to get to Quebec to study French by the end of the year. They've been laboring under a shortfall. God's brought it up to 10%. They quit their job. They're going anyway. And whammo! Elimus stands up in the path this very day. Let's not let him win. Surely, Paul and Barnabas and John prayed. God blinded him 
and got him out of the way and made him a means to the salvation of Sergius Paulus. Now, two things in closing by way of application besides that one. Wednesday night, we have an all-church strategy meeting. We will talk budget and missions. Oozing out of this text, if I feel anything, I feel oozing out of this text the command, don't on Wednesday night enter a maintenance mentality and mode in this church for 1992 with your budget. Stretch, reach, let the advent arm of God be powerful among you and bend outwardly to the city to the unreached peoples, let your mission budget grow. I don't know how you can raise the budget 15 or 20 percent, but do it because God is in it. God is an Advent God. He wants to reach out, grow, press on. Don't sleep. Don't slip into an Advent, I mean, a maintenance mentality. That's the first lesson I hear. Go for broke on Wednesday night. Second thing I hear is... There will always be people and situations and circumstances who rise up against that mentality. Elimuses. Elimuses who stand on the straight path that leads to faith, faith, faith in a triumphant, sovereign, omnipotent God. Elimuses with their squeaky little negative, pessimistic, unsure, indecisive voices. And I just say... They're not going to win. There are very few of them at Bethlehem. In fact, I'd be hard put to name them anymore. They're all gone. Elimuses are in your lives. Everybody has an Elimus. I've got Elimuses. They write horrible letters to me. They would like me down. They would like this church over. You've got Elimuses in your life. And I just want to tell you this morning, they will be blinded. They will be moved out of the way. In fact, they will be the means of your triumph if you will trust God. The prayer teams that will stand here at the end in just a moment are ready to pray about the alliances in your lives. Obstacles from circumstance, from your own body, from your emotional makeup, from the people at work or at home, people and circumstances that want you down, they want you paralyzed, they want you useless, they want you fearful, they don't want anybody coming to the end of that wonderful straight path that leads to faith and salvation. And they would like to pray the alarmists out of your life. And we've been praying downstairs before we came up here that God would give them gifts and faith. To do that for you. And so I just hope you'll, if, if somebody's already with them, just come sit down on the front pew and, and pray. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bow awed at your power. In spite of everything, you are moving. And I just pray that as a church we not jump off your Advent arm and be left behind in a great day of triumph for your missionary enterprise and for this city. Oh, Lord, grant that we stay poised, as it were, on the bicep of your omnipotent Advent arm 
stretching out from Jerusalem to Antioch and Antioch to Cyprus and Cyprus to Asia and Asia to Europe and Europe to America and Minneapolis. Me and so many in this room, how we praise you that you reached us, Advent-loving God. And now as we close, draw the people to prayer who need the gifts you're going to give to these prayer teams, Father. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Transform this people. Heal Bert Copendrea this afternoon. And may this final Elimus before Quebec be the stepping stone to 100% of their support, I pray. And if you agree with that, let's all say, Amen.